So in 1 Corinthians 1, we covered the first nine verses last week, and it was all kind of encouraging, praising God. Verse 4 says, I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you, uh, that you are enriched in every way. And verse 9, we closed with, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. So as we get into the kind of uh, negative aspects of Corinthians, um, none of it affects their salvation. They are solid in the Lord. They are one with Christ. Uh, they are in fellowship uh, with him. Um, so verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren. So now we're, we're getting into this idea of, of pleading. And this is a, a, a more accurate, probably, definition of what preaching really is. Um, there's, a, there's a great verse in Scripture, it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where it tells us that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God is pleading that uh, through us on his behalf that we would come to Christ. And when we are especially preaching a salvation message or even a message of, of walking with the Lord. Um, everyone in this room tonight, I know, have the experience of a loved one, might be a, a sibling, might be a parent, might be a child, might be a grandchild, that you have pleaded with to walk with the Lord and pleaded with to not make certain decisions in their life that they make. And it's very difficult. And it's part of, of the process. So he says, now I plead with you. Okay, I've encouraged you. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So the issue here is division. And this is a major issue. It has been a major issue in the body of Christ I don't, throughout history. Um, denominations is never something God had planned. It's just not anywhere in Scripture. It's not what he wants. Um, God desires unity. And the only way that you can have unity is by taking the Bible and making it the foundation of everything you do. Um, I heard years ago, uh, John MacArthur spoke at a conference and he, he mentioned an illustration, not, but, but uh, uh, an experience that he had. He was overseas visiting a, a young pastor who was in a very small community and kind of out in the uh, outskirts of civilization a little bit. And they only had a couple of Bibles, but they shared these Bibles and they studied these Bibles. And he reached out to John MacArthur through Master's College in order to get someone to come and train them to make sure they were teaching the Bible correctly. And then 
He was called later on that year to a prison down in the south. I think it was Mississippi somewhere. And there was a prisoner there who had given his life to Christ and began uh, leading Bible studies and, and church services. Uh, he got issued a Bible from the library, prison library, and he just began holding sermons and preaching. So he reached out to John MacArthur asking if he could come and send somebody to train him. So here was what he found. As he went to these two men who had no formal training, no reading outside the Bible, that when he got to the doctrinal issues of eternal security, of uh, eschatology, and all of the things that we debate about, they are in complete unity on every single issue because they had nothing outside the scripture to jade their mind or to, or to, or to twist it. So Ephesians chapter 4 says this. If you want to turn there, you can read with me or just listen as I read. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 1. Paul writes again, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, that word beseech is the same as plead, it's the same as beg, to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring, verse 3, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Well, that's about as plain as you can get, isn't it? There is one. So therefore, as believers, we should be able to come into the unity of the one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Boy, one baptism. That doesn't fly across the world, does it? There's all kinds of different opinions and, and teachings on baptism. It is really important to God that we be in unity. So it would be helpful to us if God would just provide us with one truth that we could all study together. And he has. That's what the word is. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. I like these verses quite a bit. It starts with this, Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, and the word consolation means comfort, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection of mercy. So he starts this chapter out asking a question. If you have ever received any comfort, fellowship, affection, mercy, or forgiveness from Christ, and every one of us should answer that question, what? Absolutely. Fulfill my joy. So uh, the scripture says, if, if God's ever done anything for you, here's how you can make God happy. Here's what makes God happy. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others 
better than themselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also for the interests of others. One way to stay in unity is to let go of some of those hard-held doctrinal beliefs that you have. The Bible says to not be involved in doubtful disputations or doubtful disputes. And you will see that most denominational splits and church splits are over very menial things. If you take a, a Methodist and a Baptist and a Lutheran and, and they all got in a room, they would all agree of the gospel. They would agree with the gospel. They would disagree on other points. And that's never been God's intention. And so as we go back to 1 Corinthians, this is the issue they are facing, an issue that's very prevalent in the world today. Verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, that by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. So their division was not based on Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran. It was based on men. And man, oh man, do we ever uh, get our hitched to men. And uh, I'm a, you, you guys are all wise enough not to do so. But it is, uh, even in the pastoral uh, areas that I, I, I'm part of at times, um, everybody's always trying to get me to follow this guy. Have you read his book? Have you seen his? And, and I do, I, I have a, a, uh, uh, a connection to John MacArthur. And the only reason I have a connection to John MacArthur is when I was in Mississippi very early in our Christian ministry, I heard a message from John MacArthur on the radio. And it was verse by verse by verse. And I had never heard that before. I had been in, uh, the churches I had been in had been mostly topical sermons in Mississippi, they were all hellfire and brimstone. Um, and I heard this man, I never heard before, just take this chapter verse by verse, going to the Greek, rightly dividing with the truth, and I was completely mesmerized by it. I had never heard a message like this. I remember going to my pastor the next day and saying, boy, I heard a message last night by a man named John MacArthur. And he said, well, he's a heretic, don't listen to him. And the reason he's a heretic to them was because it used to be L.A. Baptist College, and he changed it to Masters, and the Baptists disowned them because he... So he accused them of some doctrinal... So I wrote... I'd never done this before. Now I look back on it, I know what God was doing, but I wrote John MacArthur a letter saying, you know, I listened to this message, there was something about it, uh, but... I went to my pastor. He claims that you deny the blood of cross for the blood of Christ for salvation, and he wrote me back, wrote me a personal letter. I still have it, and this is back in probably well eighty four, eighty five. And he wrote this letter, and it, it just he said he, uh, that I was misquoted in Moody Magazine 
my comment was that sometimes we emphasize the blood over Christ, that we worship Christ, we don't worship the blood, that the blood of Christ saves us, but Christ is, you know, I thought was a good, exp uh, but as I've gone over the years, I have discovered that what God was doing that night was not drawing me to John MacArthur, he was drawing me to the method of preaching he wanted me to do that he wanted me to be an expository preacher, verse by verse. And when I heard that message that night, it wasn't him that I was being drawn to. It was rightly dividing the word of truth in that method. Over the years, I've read many John MacArthur books and listened to many sermons, and there's many things I don't agree with him on. And I'm not too connected to any preachers that are too publicly involved with social media and that kind of things and they write books and John MacArthur just came out with a new Bible translation that he wrote and I, what do you, I don't even know what you so uh, um, but you can see how we are very tempted to follow men and this is what was happening here somewhere of Paul Paul is the one we listen to somewhere of Apollos now do you remember who Apollos was Apollos was the man that Aquila and Priscilla heard speaking eloquently and accurately, except he only knew the baptism of John, and they trained him and more rightly and explained to him more accurately the word of God. Well, Aquila and Priscilla are from this Corinthian area, and he most likely stayed there and became the pastor of that area. So people were naturally behind him. Some say they were of Cephas. Now Cephas is just another name for Peter. And then some for Jesus. So you had Peter and Paul, the two basic front runners of the church. You had Apollos, the local leader, and then you had Jesus. And Paul says, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you following men? And he says in verse 13 is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul what's his point what's that Jesus Christ uh, we're, men didn't die for you men, we're all sinners this church has a very healthy view of that you understand the flaws and frailties of your pastor. You don't look at your pastor to be some type of holy man that only has access to God and you don't. I don't turn my collar around. I don't meet you in a secret booth to hear your confessions. We don't do that. That's not how the Bible teaches. Um, so Paul says, look at, I was not crucified for you. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Lest anyone should say that I had baptized them in my own name. Now I'm glad I wasn't involved in many of your baptisms because then you would have followed me. And that's what happens. We get too connected to men. Um, we've seen it here. We've seen it in other places where, where um, pastors leave or, or pastors to get home to glory. And it affects whether people go to church or not. And we're here to worship Christ and, and I, I'm hoping um, that when the Lord calls me home or calls me away that nothing changes here 
Nobody leaves. Everybody stays, and, and the church grows under the new leadership, whatever it might be. Uh, if it doesn't happen, I've not done a very good job. Verse 16. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptize any other. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He says, I don't even know all of, if I baptize any other people. So apparently they were dividing based on who baptized them. And we do a thing where in order to be members of some churches, you have to be baptized in that church. And if you're not baptized in that church, you have to get a letter from the church that baptized you. So guess what? We do the exact same thing. Except we don't say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. We say, I am of the Baptist, or I am of the Methodist, or I am of the Lutheran. And I have seen, and I was like this. In, in, in fact, it was an interesting thing. Years ago, I went to Virginia to do a wedding for Garrett and his wife. They got married in Virginia. Well, Virginia, in order to do a wedding, I had to be have my ordination accepted by Virginia. So I needed a letter from the church that ordained me. The problem was the church that ordained me, specifically ordained me only to pastor Baptist churches. So my, my ordination is Baptist only. It actually says that if you, it's null and void if I pastor a church that's not a Baptist church. Uh, well, uh, Don and Larry very quickly ordained me out of this church wrote me a little certificate, took it, and paid my $20 to Virginia, which is really what they wanted. <laughs> Once I gave it my $20, I was able to do the wedding in Virginia. Uh, but you can see how we do the same thing. And, and, uh, but we don't do it under men so much as we do it under denominations. And I have seen denominational bylaws take precedent over Scripture. And that can't happen. It can't happen. Um, one of the, the bright spots for me coming here and, and uh, when Liz and I went to church when we were away uh, we went to uh, three of the churches we went to were Baptist churches it's, we're, we're comfortable there their sisters go to Baptist churches and they're usually the ones with Iwana we usually try to find a church with Iwana so I'm not anti any, you know, I, will, I just want a church that preaches the word um, so he also says in verse 17, I'm not sent to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words. In other words, it's not about me. And this is what it, another thing we have today is we have these men who are going to make a name for themselves by continually writing these books that are their wisdom and their words. And they're going to do interviews and they're going to and drive people to their websites by saying some outlandish thing. Be careful of that. They're not all bad, but just be careful. Paul is saying in a humble manner, if I try to give you my wisdom, the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. When we are speaking the gospel, uh, it's no different when I talk to these six young kids over here than I talk to you. It's the same words, the same book. And if you've ever heard uh, Carol do... Uh, Council time for the uh, Sparkies. It's just incredible. 
There's nothing fluffy about it. There's nothing, it, it's doctrine, it's Bible. And guess what? They understand it. They get it. It's amazing. Um, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the gospel that has the power. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jews first and also the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver, gold, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot. The traditions of your fathers is not what saves you. We are saved by the precious blood of Christ. That's what saves us. And so you can walk in to a Lutheran church and you can hear the gospel. You can walk into a Baptist church and not hear the gospel. The word is what saves. We're, uh, it, it is the uh, discerner of the hot thoughts and intents of the heart. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. When God says the gospel is powerful, the Greek word for power is dynamo. It is where we get our word dynamite from. And something happens. There is a spiritual moment of, of explosion and, 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 and knowledge that comes when someone receives the gospel. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the principles of the world, and not according to Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is the head of the body, and the body is the church. He's the only one you need to listen to. It's a... Latin term called solo scriptura, which simply means scripture alone is all we need. And be careful because we have seen what happens when man puts his philosophy, his traditions, his ideas, and his philosophies. I'm sure all of you have loved ones who are, I want to use trapped, deceived in, in denominations that, that are not scriptural and they probably share with you some of the things that they're taught and sometimes you shake your head and say where did they even where do you get that from where do you where does that come from um, and when you're confronted with that we simply ask to be taken to the scriptures where that comes from and uh, that's where we want that's where our foundation is but the message of the cross is foolishness, verse 18, to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's the hardest, one of the hardest things for me uh, as a Christian is when I became a Christian, 
there was power in it. I was transformed and completely changed. Uh, my brother thinks it's foolishness. My parents thought it was foolishness. My friends think it's foolishness. And I can't convince them otherwise. It's just foolishness to them to trust in a God you cannot see. To trust in a book that has so many rules and regulations according to them. But to me, boy, it was the power of God that saved my soul. And I want to share it. But to most people I talk to, it, it's foolishness. So what do we do? Well, keep preaching. We just keep sharing. Uh, verse 19, we get some encouragement about this. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Praise the Lord that someday when we're in heaven, there'll be no one to debate the truth. He'll be sitting right in front of us. Right there. Yes, Carol. I don't want to embarrass Marcy, but I think this is really important. Marcy was And it, it's all about the gospel being preached. And I think a lot of churches, it depends on who the pastor is behind the pulpit at that time. And, and there was a verse in the Bible in which people were preaching the gospel for their own uh, financial gain. And they went to Paul and said, you got to stop it. And he says, whatever their motivation is, doesn't matter. The gospel is being shared. That's what saves people. So if you're a, a, a heretic, but through your heresy, you share the gospel correctly. Uh, I remember, I think I, I, I must have shared this on Saturday, not here, but uh, remember the book, The Prayer of Jabez? The Prayer of Jabez was probably theologically incorrect, but it had a major impact on my mother. So... Thank you for the prayer of Jabez, you know, and, and she read it and it got her thinking about God and going to the Bible and, and, but we certainly, man, we like to divide and debate, don't we? Preachers especially, it is something. I think if the Lord wants you to hear it and believe it, you're going to hear it and believe it. Well, before the foundations of the earth, God had an appointment for the day I was going to be saved. And, you know, the, the church that I got saved in probably didn't do a whole lot of proper doctrinal teaching. But I happened to be there on Easter Sunday. So that's probably, if they're ever going to talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's probably going to be that day. And that's what I heard. Really good point, Carol. Verse 20. I like these verses because they encourage the future for us. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And have we not seen how foolish the world can get? I, I never dreamed the world could get so decrepit and, and debased. When God says in Romans 1, he turns them over to a debased mind. The things that the world accepts. And 
compared to what they reject. It's, it's incredible. Violence and sex and all kinds of horrible things. God certainly has, has proven himself logically over the years. For me, to, this word is completely accurate. You see it every day. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So there, there are two mistakes. And the, the Jews kind of represent religion and the Greeks represent that, that knowledge. Remember, they want to hear nothing but a new thing. And so uh, the gospel is, is too simple for ultra-intellectuals who want... And I don't know if you've ever heard... There's a, a rapid growth of 10, 11, and 12-year-olds who, because of all the information they get from mom and dad, they speak as if they have the wisdom of the world. And they speak about transgender issues and they speak about climate issues. And we just go, wow, that person is so intelligent. And you are listening to just a bunch of ungodly junk coming out of their mouth. And it's, it's frustrating. That's that seeking after wisdom. Everybody has to be the smartest person in the room. Everybody has to be an artist, a writer, a poet, a song. I want people to hear my music, and I'm going to change the world with my music. And they're singing nothing but nonsense. Over here in the religious, they want something more than just a, a biblical relation with God. They want to hear God this way and experience him in this way and feel God this way and, and see him in the trees and feel him instead of just studying the word like you're supposed to. And that distracted the Jews and the Gentiles. They sought for a sign, and the Greeks sought after wisdom. But we, true believers, verse 23, preach Christ crucified to the Jews as stumbling blocks and to the Greeks foolishness. See, the Jews wouldn't think eternal life in heaven and the Messiah is is foolishness but it's a stumbling block because they trip when they get to Christ they're doing pretty good right and they get to Christ and they stumble where the intelligence they just think everything religion is ridiculous if you remember um, John Lennon wrote a song years ago called Imagine it's still one of the most popular songs ever um, and in that line he says imagine there's no religion to no hell below us and above us only sky. Wouldn't that be great if we could just get rid of religion? And people love that song. They worship that guy. Worship him. And yet, it's a lie of Satan. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is wisdom, Christ is power, and both Jews and Greeks have come to know him. So that's what separates. There, there's only two groups of people, and it is the tares and the wheat, the lost and the saved, Christians and the non-Christians. That's what it is. And it's not all bunch of different other categories. And because the foolishness of God, verse 25, is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I remember when I first heard that verse a long time ago, but uh, it resonated with me. 
that the, as smart as we can possibly be doesn't even match to the most foolish statement God would ever make, even though God can never make a foolish statement. And the strongest we can ever be physically doesn't even match to the weakest God can ever be, which he's never weak. That's the point of that verse. And yet, man, do we think we're smarter than God. We think we have it figured out. And I, to this day, do not understand the procedure of following any teaching that is not in the scripture. I just don't, I don't, it baffles me that a Christian would do that. And yet, that's what the whole denominations thing are, and it's very divisive. Verse 26, in order for God to be the center, in order for God to get the glory, he has a strategy. And his strategy, very simply, is to use flawed people. And we should all say amen to that, because we all qualify now. And he says, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. This reminds me of Samuel when he said to King Saul, man, when you were little in your own eyes, didn't God do great things with you? The pulpit, the title of a pastor, it is uh, a danger, dangerous thing to the flesh. And uh, uh, there are times when I, I handle it terribly. Um, there are times when God humbles you and forces you to handle it correctly. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. I'll bet we have some tea and tears that can sit down and talk to a college professor about the things of religion and he would be much wiser than this man could ever be. In fact, the Bible says the definition of a fool is what? A fool says in his heart there is no God. Romans 1 says that in the last days, that, that when, when the truth is suppressed, that man will profess themselves to be wise, yet they will become fools. And that word profess is where we get the word professor. And it's rampant across this country that the majority of professors in our universities do not believe in God. In fact, if they do, they're most likely to lose their jobs. So what happens is we have young Dale that can go and sit down with a professor from Stanford University, and this professor will be completely wrong in his analysis of God in heaven, and Dale would be completely right. But no one's going to listen to Dale. But God says, I take the weak to confound the wise. Why? Verse 28, the base things which are... Uh, the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which are not to bring nothing, the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Have you ever been, you don't have to answer this out loud if you don't want to, 
But has God ever humbled you? You got a little too big for your britches? That's an old term. Brian, probably have you heard of that term? Have you? A little big for your britches, and, and, and God has a way of reminding us of our humanity so that we do not take credit for what he does in our lives. Um, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, verse 30, who became for us the wisdom from God, the righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that great verse. And there are a lot of people getting a position behind the pulpit. And just like we saw with many kings that got on the throne uh, and go to our heads, we can become more important than we are. And we publicly, you know, the Bible is very clear when he says not to let the right hand know what your left hand is doing. We're not supposed to publicly, the Bible says let another man praise you and not your own lips. And through social media, we become a self-promoting group trying to drive people to our websites and our churches. And we do this by kind of self-promoting. And we have to be careful because these verses tell us very specifically that God would rather have a weak, frail, flawed person so that he gets all the glory and all the credit. And so let us glory in the Lord. I'll read one more verse to you from Hebrews 1. It says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. The chosen communication in the last days is the word of God. It is his son. I heard this about a year ago and I really liked it. And they said, if a person hears any voice of God outside the scripture it must line up with scripture and if it doesn't line up with scripture the voice is to be ignored and if it does line up with scripture the voice is unnecessary because you already have the scriptures so God has chosen in these last days to speak to us through his son and his son is the word in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. John 1 14. He says, In these last days, Hebrews 1 verse 2, has spoken to us through His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Through Him also He made the worlds, who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the Word of His power, when he had himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And having become so much better than angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We, why would we want to trust anything other than Jesus? You, the Spirit, and the Bible. That's all you need. You can get through it. You can learn, you can study, you can be qualified to teach if that's all you need and it's all you should listen to. And that was the trouble of Corinthians. They got distracted 
by the men who baptized them, by the men who taught them, and it created divisions. And man, we have taken that and we have done it a hundredfold with cults, denominations, translations. Man, we God is not the author of confusion. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your unity in the scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for a group of people that love your word, that study your word, and that encourage each other when we get away from the word. And we, Father, thank you, Lord, that we can be in unity, not because of our opinions and our wisdom and our knowledge, but because of what you have written through the word, the word that is your very only begotten son. What a blessing to read it and study it. In Jesus' name, amen.